Welcome. You're listening to the Diving In podcast, brought to you by Virginia Seymour and Louise Jones. This podcast is part of a lifelong conversation between friends about the books we're reading and the issues they make us think about. That also goes for the movies and television we're watching and the podcasts we're currently hooked on. We might even talk about what's in the news and anything else we're diving into this week. Diving In. Hello, Lou. Hello. Hello, Divers. Welcome to our 50th episode. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> Technically, we've done a few other little episodes, yes. which are swan dives, but this is our 50th proper full episode. I know. So exciting. Oh, my and, and, you know, I was thinking the other day, you and I used to, you know, <laughs> have an episode released and then we would <laughs> wait to see the numbers climb up and, you know, we'd get to 200 <laughs> listens and we'd be texting each other and going, oh, that's so exciting. And now it's just so many more. And I so know. I just think we should thank everyone for listening. Yeah, thank it's you just so incredible. much to everyone who supports us and is encouraging and leaves us lovely messages And because it really does keep us going. It's it does. wonderful. It certainly it's just does. been such a fun, unexpected joy, really. So after our Trojan Horses episode a couple back, uh, we decided that we would do an episode on the Greek myths. And so voila. Voila. And I am loving diving into the Greek myths. Mm, me too. But I'm still figuring out what it is that has made them so enduring mm. because they're not really moral stories. They don't really teach us how to be moral human beings, except perhaps as salutary tales in a lot of yes. instances. Yes. I think they intended to be. I think they did intend to be lessons. I think that they were being didactic in some respects but look I think it depends on the who's doing the writing yes yeah. yes I, I mean to me they're more what not to do <laughs> yes yeah sure sure and maybe that is what a moral story is yes. I guess but I do think that even though they are about the Greek and Roman gods they do really exemplify what it is to be human you know love revenge jealousy lust for power maternal love lost grief a desire to leave a legacy, all those things that are very human are all here. I mean, some of those things are very male tendencies, and of course these are very male-dominated myths, but many of those things are common to yeah, all people. Absolutely. One of the things that's really held me back from reading the retellings in the past was that I, I always felt as though I ought to start with the original. Mm. <laughs> I should start with Homer's Iliad. <laughs> because that's the proper thing to do. And I, I do, I like to do things properly. Mm. But I never got started. No. Um, because I always felt that if I jumped into the retellings, that that was not cheating in a way, but that I wouldn't be sure what was original and what was a new development. And, you know, I don't know. I, I had a silly idea about it all. But I've realised since reading a few retellings that they're actually an excellent way in. Oh, fantastic. And I feel like now, having read a few, and I'm going to read a few more, that I could actually go back and would read Homer and find it much easier. <laughs> yes, and I just, well, I think that's the point. I think we need some assistance with some of this quite dense at times 
poetic style. Yeah. So I look at the retellings. I think have been fantastic. Of course, there's controversy over some of the yeah. retellings as well, which you know we might mention. But yeah, like any translation in some respects, because they are they're trying to facilitate our understanding, aren't yes. they? And yes, and maybe create new lenses. Yeah, but they do bring a more modern yeah. uh, viewpoint. Mm. But for my choice today, I'm moving forward another 300 years to about 400 BC and the playwright Sophocles. And Sophocles was a Greek tragedian and he was inspired by the myths of the royal house of Thebes. And that was a dynasty of kings just before the Trojan horse era. Oh, okay. Well, he's written about seven or eight plays. One of them, the eighth, I think is quite fractured it's not complete but um, he wrote a trilogy of plays the most well-known of which is Oedipus Rex okay King Oedipus and all three Theban plays are concerned I suppose with uh, man's attempts to defy fate and you should really read all three because there's so much context it's a really short trilogy each play is pretty short. So has that little book got all three in it? All three. Oh, wow. Yes. That's it's got very all three of the, of the Thebian plays. It's very thin for yes. listeners. <laughs> it's very thin. Yes, in fact, the whole thing is only 168 pages. Yeah, and that's wow. the three plays. The one that I am going to focus on today is the third one, which is Antigone. So in Antigone, Oedipus has died and consistent with his prophecy or the prophecies that he was told, his two sons have engaged in a civil war to dominate the city of Thebes and they have both died. Creon is now on the throne and Oedipus's daughter Antigone is extremely agitated and she's seeking out her sister Ismene. And she tells Ismene about the deaths of their brothers, Eteocles and Polynices. Oh, wow. Eteocles has defended the city, so he is on the same side as Creon, and he has been buried with full honours. But the new king, Creon, is punishing the other brother, oh. Polynices, who led the siege against Thebes, right. and he is refusing to bury him properly. Oh, this is a, an ongoing theme through all of these, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. It is. And, of course, Antigone is, you know, furious, she's distraught, and she tells her sister you know, I am going to attend to the burial myself in secret. And this really bothers her sister, is any, because King Creon has already said that anyone who attempts to bury Polynices will be stoned to death. Ooh. And it's a very short play, as I said, so I'm not going to tell you any more of the narrative, but as you can gauge, it's a play about family and betrayal yeah. uh, and fate. And Sophocles uses some dramatic devices in his tragedies. And I'm just fascinated about these ancient writers because so many of the things that they did then in 400 BC I know, I know. still, you know, are used today yeah. and, and still resonate today as a device or I just find it extraordinary. You know, they're, they're so well crafted as a performance yeah. piece. Yeah. The chorus uh, is the first thing that you notice. And, of course, through a lot of the books that we'll have read, there will be choruses in one form or another. The chorus apparently represented the city. So it represents the collective us. Oh, okay. Um, and I love that. In a classical Greek drama, it was a group of actors 
And actually, to start with, it was it was song. It was done in song, hence chorus, uh-huh. choral, the choral tradition of the poem. And I think initially it was uh, Hesiod might have had fifty of them, but it sort of whittled down. Right. And by Sophocles' time, I think he had about twelve. Oh. and they were a group of actors who described and commented upon the main action of a play, and they used song, dance, or they would recite their chorus lines. Such a clever device. It is to come really up clever, with, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, and. Then Romans removed choruses from plays because they didn't like tragedy and drama. Right. The Roman plays were more about spectacle. Uh So choruses were completely removed from Uh Roman plays. And then the second device that Sophocles uses is the metaphysical wisdom of the blind man. He appears as a character in all three plays, but in Antigone, the blind man is a prophet and he warns Creon the king about And is that because things. he uses his other senses? Absolutely. So he has heightened senses. Ah, okay. So he transcends the physical right? Okay. and he can see without his eyes. And I guess it's similar to the device that Shakespeare used with the fool in comedy. Yeah, okay. Often the wisest person yeah, in the room. Yeah, yeah. So... I think this is fascinating. I'd love to sit down with a lit teacher and, you yeah, know, yeah. go through all and, this. And then it goes right through to Bertie Wooster and Jeeves yep. where the servant is smarter than the Absolutely. master. Yeah. All the, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's... It's a great device. If we strip it back, it's human nature. And it's always, the core thing about that is always making the audience on the same side Absolutely. as the smartest person yeah. or the wisest person. Br- bringing so the audience feel yes. a little bit elevated. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. One jump ahead. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the chorus, to me, is perhaps a bit more of a patronising device because it's kind of... Telling you. Telling you, whereas yeah. to observe, you know, somebody who's standing yeah. to the side yeah. through their eyes yeah. is, is a very clever. clever. Yeah. It's very clever. So that's all I'm going to say about Antigone. Yeah, I love but that. please read The Theban Plays wow. by Sophocles. This is wonderful to learn lots of new stuff in your own podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, thanks for that. That was fantastic, Lou. So basically when we decided to do this, we just said to each other, you know, in a sort of as we departed, okay, we'll do the Greek myths. <laughs> and, and I got in my car and off we went. We're so cavalier, aren't we? <laughs> uh, and we just knew that we would each sort of go away and come up with something. So... I just went off and thought, oh, well, what should I do? So I was sent, for Christmas last year, Bloomsbury sent me this beautiful 10th anniversary edition mm. of The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. And it's got a beautiful matching Christmas card and it's got a book plate signed by Madeline Miller. It's really quite special. Stunning. So and that had just been sitting there staring at me. Uh, so I thought, well, that's obviously what I need to read. I absolutely loved this book. I think Madeline Miller's writing is excellent and I now have to read Circe. Circe, yes. She has a classics degree and I think she wrote her master's thesis on the relationship between Achilles and Patroclus. I'm probably mashing that pronunciation, but forgive me. And Madeline Miller had noticed that Often Achilles and Patroclus had been described as, in inverted commas, good friends or very good friends and not as actual lovers. And it is a topic of much debate among Mm. scholars as to the relationship between the two young men. But in this book, she has gone all the way and described them as lovers, not in a particularly graphic Mm. way or anything, but that's the basis of the relationship is that they love each other 
and I think it's a physical relationship. So this story starts, it opens with Patroclus speaking, and you don't know that for the first mm. couple of chapters because he just says things like, oh, the opening sentence is, my father was a king and the son of kings. He was a short man, blah, blah, blah. So you don't, you don't know who it yeah, could, could be any number yes. of people. Yes. Which I quite liked because mm. I, I was sort of thinking, well, is this Achilles speaking? Who, you know? Yes. So that was quite interesting. But it's, it turns out it's Patroclus telling his story. And he goes on to, to describe after he's grown up a little how, as, as he was a, when he was a 10 year old boy, he was walking through an olive grove, I think, and he was challenged by a bully who threatened him and wanted to take a set of dice that he was carrying. And in defending himself, Patroclus pushed the bully away and the bully fell and hit his head and died, like a, one, a modern one-punch one punch one situation. Punch. Mm. And Patroclus was pronounced to have been a murderer, a little 10-year-old murderer. And so then he was sent away by his father to go and live with King Peleus in Thea. And King Peleus, I think, took in lots of boys who'd been sent away. He seemed to have been a, quite a kindly avuncular, perhaps mm. would be a good word to describe him, person. And King Peleus was the father of Achilles. So it was here that Achilles and Patroclus met and grew up together and formed their yes. close bond. So they go back to when they were little 10-year-old boys. And was it known? Was Patroclus's background known to the people? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, it was, certainly wasn't a secret, not in her retelling, put it no. that way. Yeah. And Patroclus tells Achilles and Achilles says, well, why, why didn't they say that you were defending yourself? And mm. that, that was quite interesting mm. to me. So that was quite an interesting introduction because you see Achilles through Patroclus's childhood eyes and I really loved that because I think you, you know, you form an attachment to a character perhaps when you, when you see them the grow up. Yes. Mm. And, I mean, Achilles had some terrible qualities really because he ended up, uh, spending a long time sulking and not participating in the war. He violated the corpse of Hector, who mm. he killed. He, you know, he had some qualities that were quite reprehensible, but you still have quite a sympathetic mm. view of him, I guess. So he was said to have been the greatest Greek warrior and he killed the Trojan king mm. Hector outside the gates of Troy. And it is said that Achilles was killed near the end of the Trojan War by Paris. So he didn't have a very long life. Mm. And Paris shot him with an arrow and there's different reports of how he died. But it's said that he was shot through the ankle, which was his only vulnerable spot as his mother Thetis had held him by the ankle when she dipped him in the river Styx mm. to make him immortal. And that's why the Achilles tendon is, is yes. so named and why we talk about someone having an Achilles heel. I think that's one of the great things about reading these is that there's so many words and names for things in our modern lives. That have that, endured. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the ether. Yes. You just come across things all the time and you think, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's where it all starts. A lot of the stars, mm. of course, galaxies and things. So Madeline Miller's story tells us all about the young boys being taken off by Chiron, I'm going to pronounce it, mm. taking the two boys off to his cave and teaching them all sorts of things, including how to play the lyre. And the Chiron had the body of a horse and the torso of a man. 
Uh, he was obviously very strong and very wise and he taught them lots of things. That's a really beautiful part of this book. I really love that. And then I, I won't go into the rest of the plot because a lot of things start to happen yeah. after that. And I think it's important to discover these stories for yourself if you haven't already read them. But I loved this version. I loved the way she described what had happened. Some of it covered the same ground as the Pat Barker books yes, yes. that I've read, The Silence Sons of the, the Girls, girls yep. and The Women of Troy. And so now I feel like I've really got a pretty good handle on yes. the story of Troy and I'm going to actually try and avoid reading that part of the Greek myth. I'm going to yes. try and read other yes. bits and I'll, I'll come back to that probably. But I feel like I've sort of covered off quite well having read those three books, although there's so much in that. Well, I'm so glad that you've done that one because I was going to do Circe and I didn't realise that she'd written another one. Has she written more? There's another very slim one I've seen yes, on Instagram. Okay. I can't remember what it's yes, called. Yeah. A oh, little sort of novellary looking excellent. thing. Yeah. I just love it when a writer humanises history mm. in a really clever way so that it feels as though these are people I recognise, I can relate to, yes. they could be living now. I think it makes the whole thing so much more memorable. And I think yes. Pat Barker did that brilliantly. I feel like I really know Briseis and all the women. Yes that she covered off in those two books and I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on Troy and Patroclus and the love that he and Achilles had. So mm. I would really recommend that. I thought it was excellent. Excellent. Mm. So I'm going to talk about another retelling, which is the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood, which is another retelling. So similar to Madeline Miller, who you've just discussed, and A Thousand Ships by Natalie Hines and Oreo by Fran Ross. There's the, the countless that I'm now going to get yeah, stuck into yeah, because okay. uh, I've really enjoyed this. It's a really clever retelling by Margaret Atwood. It's it's recounting the story of Homer's Odyssey from the perspective of Odysseus's wife Penelope, and ultimately from the perspective of her twelve maids. So it's as you would expect from Margaret Atwood, a sort of a feminist lens over this very traditional male story. So when the story opens, the former Spartan princess Penelope is in Hades, but she's in Hades in the modern day. So she's narrating the story from the afterlife, reflecting on her life, on the events that occurred centuries and centuries oh. before. Yeah, so we're with her in the present day. That's clever. But she's down there. <laughs> she's been there forever. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, so she talks about her life as a child, particularly her relationship with her father, the Spartan king, and also how Odysseus won her hand in marriage. And what runs through the whole book is her is the tense relationship she has with her cousin, Helen of Troy, mm -hmm. the beautiful Helen of Troy, and Penelope, by all accounts, a much plainer less beautiful princess. She had formerly had 12 maids when she was alive and 12 of them were with her in the afterlife, but they're largely avoiding her down there. Oh. And they provide the reader with their own commentary on Penelope's story. So are they a bit like a Greek chorus? Yes, that's exactly uh -huh. what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> sorry, Lou. 
Exactly. I thought I was so clever. <laughs> no, you are so I'm, clever. I'm spotting it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So, she, yeah, Atwood has essentially created her own Greek chorus, which I love. I love that she's, oh, you know, so to use those devices. You know from the get-go that the maids accuse Odysseus of killing them. And they do this in song and their verses are interspersed through the book and they're crossed with Penelope and her role in their demise. And, of course, we know that from the little bit I've read of it, and I have read a bit of Homer's Odyssey quite some time ago and then again for this episode. And, you know, the focus is so much on the heroic journeys, the wars, the challenges, the the damn monsters. Yes. And, you know, his desperate attempts over 10 years to sort of return home. So it's, you know, setting him up as this classic hero. But, of course, Penelope, shortly after her marriage, is pregnant and she's left alone in Ithaca uh, when he goes to war. And so Atwood's retelling flips the focus and we see, you know, quite plausible and maybe even likely new interpretations of Odysseus's exploits, you know, his treachery, his infidelity. Apparently he was a compulsive liar. Yes, and he's, yeah, he was, he was, and there's some this wonderful section of chorus from the maids uh-huh. about that. And, you know, he, he had a preference for wandering rather than returning. Yeah. And indeed, when he returned, he left again. <laughs> yeah, he went straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and so the stark reality of her life in Ithaca while she waits for his return is really the sort of anchor of this book. The, the people that come knocking, the suitors that are hoping to get their hands on the, the kingdom. Yeah. And uh, how she has to manipulate the situation because for a long time she... Hopes he will come back. Hopes he will come back, believes in his love for her, and it's really, Mm. really quite sad. Penelope does get news from time to time of Odysseus, and she has a son as well who has a major part to play in this, who I'm not going to go into because it'll, you know, give the details away. Telemachus. Telemachus. Yeah. And not surprisingly, the longer Odysseus is away, that trust that she has and her vulnerability grows, and but her trust fades. Yeah. And so with the help of her maids, she has to decide how to survive, obviously. And predictably, this is just sharp, clever, unrelenting Atwood, you know, at yeah. her best, challenging all the gender stereotypes. And she just is reminding us over and over again that this Greek legend in particular, but many Greek legends are inevitably told from the male mm. perspective. So, yeah, I can highly recommend the Penelope ad. It's, it's a novella. I'm, I'm giving a very short review because it's a short book. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, oh, I'm going to read that it's one. It's a novella and you'll, well, you'll knock it off in an afternoon. Wow. So um, that's the Penelope ad by Margaret Atwood. How fantastic. You, you and I have done it again where we are drawn, I think we're both drawn to books that tell the story from the female point of view, which is what the Pat Barker books do. I didn't really think about that when I picked them up, but I immediately saw what was happening and I loved it. I've just got two other fantastic books that I wanted to mention that I'm reading. I haven't finished either of them, but they're books that you dip into and out of, although I have actually been reading them cover to cover, but I'm going to keep them beside me when I read The Greek Myths because they're a fantastic resource. So the first one is one that I found in a bookshop the other day, Charlotte Higgins' The Greek Myths, A New Retelling with Drawings by Chris Ophilly. And it's the oh, most it's beautiful. beautiful. It's sort beautiful, of a bit textbooky. Yes. So you can sort of write on it. I've got it all highlighted and um, 
it's set out in such a fantastic way. It's structured around eight of the women yeah. in the Greek myths with a weaving theme. The eight women, I'll tell you who they all are. Athena, Alsathy, Philomela, Arachne, Andromache, Helen, Circe and Penelope. Yes. But it's really good because it's got maps and it's also got a family tree with I the love Titans a family tree. And Lovely. the Olympians. It's just such a great way. Yes to get the, into your head who fits where. Yeah. The weaving theme is really interesting because mm. the whole idea of weaving the shroud is a yep. big part of Penelope. Penelope it's what she does. Because yes. she and just undoes she, it every night. Yes, and she does, she does it to avoid, yeah. of course. She avoids the suitors. Which is, so, so it's a, that's an interesting story about procrastination or yes, something. Yes, I don't know. Just, yes. we, I haven't even really started delving yes. into that. But what she did with this one, Charlotte Higgins, is she has an introduction where she talks about weaving and actually how long it took to weave just a, an ordinary piece of fabric, a toga or a, yes. a piece of cloth. It just took years before they had yes. spinning wheels. and <laughs> So, so much time was spent just yes. making cloth and then embroidering it and yeah. telling the story. So, the first one that I read was Athena and she's at her workshop on Mount Olympus and then Charlotte Higgins has her go through and describe different stories mm. through her mm. weaving, which I just love. And it's interesting because from what I can tell from my reading, it's the sort of prominent, more senior women who are actually doing the weaving. It's not like they've got the maids weaving. So it's the symbol. Well, they're quite idle. Yes. I, I suppose. But I thought it was more the symbolism of how important it was because I know that when... True. If you start weaving a shroud for someone, then you are prophesizing their death as well. Yeah. So I think people have taken umbrage oh, okay. at some of the women for beginning to weave a right. shroud because you are suggesting... Yeah, that you'll need it soon. <laughs> yes, yeah. But I do also think that those women were not having to no, I agree. perform basic yes. domestic tasks. There's, there's a lot yeah, in sure. that, isn't there? sure. Lots of really interesting things in there. And the Penelope story I loved, that was fascinating about the the 12 maids who and she had lots of potential suitors Penelope in that in those 20 years mm. that Odysseus was away and the suitors seemed to have thought that a way into Penelope was by seducing some of those 12 maids which sort of seems counterintuitive to me but anyway that's what happened well it's very interesting because Margaret Atwood has a I don't want to give that bit away okay but right. she has a different narrative on on that interesting and, okay. and how that came about Ooh, and, and its purpose okay so yeah that's a slightly Ooh, different that. take on, okay. on that yeah oh that's fantastic okay well I will definitely read that mm. so that's the Greek myths by Charlotte Higgins I'm still working my way through that there's still a few women I haven't read yet but I Loved it. I thought it was, it was a great find. I just found it in the bookshop. And then the other book was given to me the other day by a lovely lady, thank you, Marky, who heard me talking about Greek myths at a dinner that we were at. Oh, how lovely. I know. I know. And she loves the podcast and this present arrived. I was just so touched. It's called Heroines of Olympus, the Women of Greek Mythology. And... It's by Ellie Macken Roberts. It's a beautiful hardback edition and it covers 50 of the women mm. in the Greek myths and different ones from yes, the... Yes. So there's a lot of women yes. when you go through. Like this one does not have Helen of Troy because she's been done yes, and, and, to and, death. and also a little bit on the nose with so many of the other Greek women. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so I loved that. For her manipulative ways. Yeah. 
so I'm working my way through this and absolutely loving it. It sort of starts off with a, a piece about them, sort of straight from the myth, usually sort of quoting a bit of text from mm. the original Greek myths. For example, Cassandra, who saw through the Greeks leaving the wooden horse at the gates of Troy, she thought there's people in, there's men in that horse, tried to warn them. They thought, mm. that's mad Cassandra, and they ignored her at their peril. I, and then the next two pages sort of elaborate on Cassandra. So I was reading something the other night, and it mentioned, I can't even remember who now, and I picked this up and then and read she was it in there. and put, yes. put it all together. Yes. So these are sort of a great resource. So that's the heroines of Olympus, the women of Greek mythology, just fantastic. Well, what I want, and one of your first book you just mentioned then might have it. I want an entire map of all the kingdoms, but then how the kingdoms changed. Yeah. I want a, I want a shifting map. I want a Harry Potter map that shifts. The Charlotte Higgins book, it's got the Greek and the Aegean and then the world of the Greek myths. Mm. So it's got Phoenicia, Cyprus. Because, of course, it all shifts as the wars are won and lost. Yeah. And I'd love to. All I'd, the boundaries yes. change. and I'd love yeah. to yeah. have that overlay. Yeah. And I would also love, Ginny, to, you'll have heard us talking about the podcast novel pairings. Yes. The two girls, Sarah and Chelsea, who are both literature teachers, I yes. think. And I mentioned to you this morning, I would love to have a discussion with them mm. about this idea of retelling. Yes, or re so would I. imagining texts through a lens from the perspective of teachers, yes. because I know that Antigone is a final year text. Uh, one of my sons oh, did okay. it for literature, but he did it in a mixed class of girls and boys. And right. again, I think that was probably quite important. But yeah, I'd love to have a chat to teachers because I think there'd be some criticisms of Margaret Atwood's book, for example, um, How Far She Goes yes. to Retell the Tale. Yes. But for me, that's fantastic. That's yeah. just, that's fiction. That's, yeah, that's what you do. But looking at some of these old stories through the modern lens mm. is a really useful thing for young people to do. Very useful. So because we've, we're up to our 50th episode, we thought that we, just for fun, would make a list of our 50 favourite authors. Yes. We wanted to do something that would just mark the number 50. Yes. So we're going to do 25 authors each. I found this incredibly hard. I did too. And I had to keep swapping people out and then adding someone yeah. else in. So I sort of had to sacrifice someone and put another one in. I'll let you go first, perhaps, with your... Yes, okay. Your okay. 25 favourite oh. authors. <laughs> and I've sort of, I, don't, I thought, how do I approach this? And yeah. I divide it up into categories. And look, and, and every time I look at this list, I think of someone I've missed out. So, you know, I think this is kind of my 50 favourite today. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, my 25 favourite today. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow it will change. So I've picked two, three Australian ones to start with. I think every person in Australia, every school-aged child should read Ambulin Quaimulina. Um, she wrote Living on Stolen Land. It's the most beautiful text. Well, I uh, haven't read that, so yes. now I... I'm going to hand it over <laughs> to you. A, there's a failing. I, it's, it, again, it's, it's tiny. It's a slim novel. Yeah. It's okay. absolutely beautiful. Everybody should read that okay. book, um, Living on Stolen Land. Peter Temple, like, you know, worship at the yeah. feet of Peter Temple. And then a more recent Australian author who uh, had his debut last year and I just cannot wait to see what he does. I think there should be so much fuss about Campbell Matteson. 
I don't even think I've heard you mention him. I reviewed his book okay. when we were men. Oh, was that the one in the river? Yes, the swimmers. The swimmers. Yes, okay, the twins. I've forgotten the surname. Just absolutely yeah, magnificent. Okay. Book. Oh, all right. And then I moved to close to one of my favourite books of all time. And you see, I'm mentioning books. So this is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because the task was our favourite 25 authors. <laughs> we cavalierly said, and do a list of your 25 favourite, and yes. that'll make 50. Yeah, so, but, so for me, definitely, uh, my decision is determined by the book and how the book makes me feel and the yeah. writing. Yeah. And indeed, some of these, I haven't liked what they've written subsequently okay. on occasions. Okay. So, yes. and I'm not going to go through all that today, but, yeah. you know, they have written a book that I would put on my top yeah. list, okay? So my favourite of all time would be Arundhati Roy, the God of Small Things. Yeah. Vikram Seth, of course, a suitable boy. A non-fiction book, the author Siddhartha Mukherjee, who wrote The Emperor of All Maladies, which is about the history of cancer. Just extraordinary, extraordinary book. Some oldies, Henry James, Edith Wharton, uh, Tolstoy, most definitely. More contemporary, and Patchett. Uh, even more contemporary, Louise Adick. I read the and reviewed The Night Watchman last year. I'm glad year. you've put some of these And in. I love the book I'm reading of hers at the moment, which we happen to be discussing shortly. Irish. Kevin Barry and William Trevor. William Trevor's book about Lucy Galt, one of the best books I've ever read. I just loved it. English authors. I love Alan Bennett. I love The Scotsman, Ian Rankin. I love Douglas Stewart's book. Again, another debut for Shaggy Bain last year. Beautifully written. Jesse Burton, just sheer joy. And I guess one to watch, again, a debut which I reviewed last year, is Avni Doshi. She wrote Burnt Sugar. Yeah, okay. I thought that was just superb. Likewise, the children's author, Kieran Millwood Hargrave, she wrote The Mercies. Yeah. Magnificently, magnificent book. Loved it. And then my final two are controversial, Virginia. Okay. I don't think you'll agree with me here. I've chosen these final two because I think they write brilliantly, but their views are controversial yeah. and their actions are controversial. Yeah. So I would have Lionel Shriver yeah. and Jonathan Franzen. Okay. So you're, you're not into cancelling people? No. <laughs> no, I most certainly am not into cancelling yeah. people. Neither so I. I think so. that is oh, – I didn't mention Jane Austen in my group. I've put Jane in there. Look, you know – So have you got 26? No, that's 25. Oh, okay. I missed her. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. No, no, and I've missed one other, Kate Atkinson. Oh, okay. Jesse Burton and Kate Atkinson okay. are my sort of contemporary modern British. That's interesting. Okay. So you and I um, only have five that overlap. Good. Excellent. Which I'm sort of glad about because I del- and I deliberately didn't put a couple down because I was hoping that you would <laughs> so that our list would be a bit more done. Yes, good. I found this incredibly difficult. My criteria was different from yours. Yes. So rather than picking 25 favourite books, I thought we're doing authors. So I'm going to pick people who I've either read everything they've written or everything that I've read of theirs I've loved, even if yes. I haven't read their no, whole I've <laughs> So my, I just first. You know of all, I'm disobedient, but yeah, no, no, no. I love, I love that. I love the way we do 
things a bit differently. That mm. makes it much more interesting. So I started with Nina Stibby. Yes, I uh, knew she would be on your list. I'm so delighted because I pre-ordered her new one. Yes. Which is called One Day I Shall Astonish the World or mm. something like that. And I got a note yesterday from someone saying, your pre-order is on its way. It's been shipped. I'm so excited. I do have to admit I didn't put her on her list as I feel she's your author. <laughs> like I feel the, the, actually it would be very interesting to hear your list because there's about four or five that I thought, I just can't put that author on my list. She's not my author. They're not my author. They're Virginia's author. Good. That's so funny. Uh, yeah, Nina Stibby, uh, mainly because, uh, well, there's so many reasons why I love Nina, but when someone can make you laugh the way Nina has made me laugh, it just brings you so much joy. And you remember where you were when you just Her Christmas lost letters. Oh, Her my Christmas God. letters. That episode where I couldn't even get it out. I know. Just, I know. So much you were fun. on the floor. I just love, love her. So no, number two, no surprise. And I just did these as a stream of consciousness. Yes, these good. are in no particular order, but I just, who, who came to mind? And then I put Anthony Trollope. Yes, of um, course. And then, uh, rather surprisingly, I think I put Viktor Frankl, mm. Man's Search for Men, mm. just because that touched me mm. and it's such a profound mm. book. But then that just makes me think of other people that fall into that same category that I should have added in, but I didn't. Mm. Gretchen Rubin, obviously, yes. and Stephen Covey. And I've literally read everything that the late Stephen Covey wrote. He was the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Successful. I just loved everything he put out. Then I've got Anne Patchett, our first overlap. Yes. Uh, Graham Greene, Alan Bennett, yes, our second, second overlap. overlap. Alan Bradley, who wrote the Flavia de Luce novels. Yes, you um, put me onto those. Yeah, love them. Many years ago. Jane Austen, Miss Reed, which mm. is a f f funny one, but I think I have read almost everything that she wrote and they're just delightful and beautiful writing. Mm. Uh, Kate Atkinson, there's another overlap. Michael Chabon. E.M. Delafield, who wrote The Diary of a Provincial Lady, laugh out loud, mm. funny. Just anyone who can make me laugh like that has to go on the list. Uh, Siri Hustvet, Bill Bryson, again, yes, laugh out yes. loud, funny. Penelope Lively, I've read absolutely everything, including most of her children's books as well as all her adult books, and there's a lot of them. Nancy Mitford, also, make mm, me laugh I out couldn't loud. put her on the list. <laughs> Stieg Larsson. Yes. Uh, Drag yeah, Dragon Tattoo. I yes, I'm, I, that, I mean, I'm on the fence there. Oh, gosh, I just... Uh, I remember I'm, just sort of losing a whole weekend. Yeah, no, I love reading them, but yeah. And it's so great. Yeah. It's so much not my normal no, type I'm of thing. No, I'm a bit surprised yeah, by that. Yeah, but just so mm. brilliantly put together. Uh, Peter Temple. Mm. Uh, Dorothy Whipple. Yes, I thought you might have yeah. her. Uh, P.G. Woodhouse. Yes. That was one I swapped in and took someone else out. Really? I would have thought you would have had that. Yeah, I, I thought there's no way Bertie and Jeans are not going to make this list. I haven't read one for a little while and I think I forgot I forgot him. <laughs> Could you forget? don't know. Bertie. I know. But I haven't read everything that he's mm. written and that will that would be a big task because there's a lot there. Um, Elizabeth Gaskell. Yes. Uh, I thought I'd better put a, a, a historical classic in there. Fiction. Yeah. Uh, D.E. Stevenson, who wrote the Miss Bunkle books, also funny a lady who the Miss Bunkle writes a book about all the people in her village and it gets published and then the village work it out or they realise that they're the characters and uh, she gets herself into a complete pickle. Absolutely delightful. I've never read those books. Yeah, absolutely delightful. Oh. They're published by Persephone. They're in that, mm. that sort of school. And then my 25th, I wrote Niall Williams, yes, the Irish, Irish. writer. Yeah. So I didn't put John Boyne. 
I didn't put William Boyd. I, I mean, there, yes, there's I a ton about... I had to sort of swap out. But, you know, they were the ones I chose. Yep, excellent. <laughs> for today. Excellent. And look, interesting, isn't it? There isn't a Dickens or a Hardy in no, sight. No, It's quite interesting. I felt like putting Trollope in meant that covered off yes, my... Yes, yes. Um, and, my... I mean, I've loved a couple of E.M. Forsters. Yeah. But, I look, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could review that list every day. Yeah. It would have been easier if we'd each done 50, but we'd yes. be here a lot longer. So Correct. Uh, and even then, I reckon we would have still said, oh, I didn't know whether to add this one or that one. So anyway, that, that was fun. Mm. It was a fun exercise. And it did also make me think, if I love this writer so much, why haven't I read a few more? If I want to put them in my list, I need to read a few more by them. So that was an interesting yes. uh, revelation yes. to me. Yes, sort of reminding you. Yeah, I, I love this author. I need yeah. to read the rest. There's a few that I still haven't read, yeah. Yeah, and interesting, I didn't have Margaret Atwood on my list. No. It's interesting. Yet I love Margaret Atwood, mm. yeah. But mm. I haven't read everything. So what else have you been diving into lately, Lou? Uh, well, I recently heard about a podcast called Deeply Human. I was listening to Fee and Jane, the fortunately, the BBC podcast, and they interviewed Dessa, uh, who is an American musician. She's a rapper. She's a writer. She has the most mellifluous voice. And they were interviewing her, and I just fell in love with her just listening to her talk. She's got, she's got this innate mm. calm. Mm. It's a bit like Ma uh, Malcolm Gladwell, although mm. I suspect he's not as calm in real life. No. But you're just drawn into this person's voice and you could listen to it forever. Mm. Anyway, and she's confident. Very I love confident. Her confidence. Yeah, she is confident. But not cocky. But no, just... confident in herself, mm. isn't it? It just yeah. oozes. Yeah. Anyway, she has a podcast called Deeply Human and it's only in its second series and each series is only about eight to 10 episodes and I can really recommend it and it's really I guess it's an investigation of the human condition does she interview she interviews people right. so she might have a topic like being naked um or oh. dance you know why okay. do our bodies move to certain rhythms or oh, okay. so she sort of picks a an idea about being human okay. about what we do and I'll just look at a couple of episodes oh, that sounds fantastic Lou so crowds you oh. know dress codes you know, things that, that touch all of us. Yeah. And then she has a conversation about it with someone. That, that sounds great. One of the good episodes was The Teenage Brain, which was oh, really, really yeah. good. And she's got, you know, lying. Like the lying oh. episode was excellent. Oh, I would love um, that. So I can really recommend Deeply Human with okay. Dessa. Oh, that yeah. sounds fantastic. What about you? What have you been diving into? Uh, I have been diving straight into the home edit, oh, season yes, two. Of course you have. <laughs> oh, my God. I am loving this so much. <laughs> do, do you think that, I mean, do they have to deal with a store? Do they, do they, do they bring yeah. in new systems or are the systems the same? Because uh, I don't want to have to redo it all no, again. No, no, the system is the same, which yeah. I love. Yeah. Um, they do constantly bring out new product. Yes. Um, oh, my God, it's just such a great show. So what I've been doing is I watch the news. Yes. Until I can't take it anymore, <laughs> uh, which is actually terrible. But there's a, usually a point at the news when they go, and now we're going over to the Ukraine, and I start to watch it, and then I just, yeah, I know, I it's just terrible, can't. Isn't it? Sorry to really? bring the tone down, but no, but it's um, terrible, and I think this is not good for my mental health. And so then I just mm -hmm. flick the channel over to Netflix, and I watch a bit of the home edit, and the contrast is 
just mm. oh my goodness but I just love everything about it and it's just upbeat it's inspiring it has that before after you know yes. element of a, a transition that we all love we all love yeah I've learned a lot about and organizing think, yeah. physical our physical space and organizing stuff and I also love their work ethic and and the, the way they interact because there's always it's such a stressful thing that or they I don't think they're bunging it on but they give themselves these sort of preposterous time frames that they've got yes. to get it all done by you know X hour and then the people are coming home. But come on, surely they've got a team <laughs> behind the scenes that are doing. Well, this. there's a big. There's often this you know big team coming led by Sumner. Yeah, and. They're always sort of stepping on each other or stepping <laughs> on stuff, falling over, bickering about, you know, what to do. Although mm. their system does seem to be yes. accepted universally by all of them. But Good. just the way they interact, it's it's fantastic. As long so, as I don't need to go out and buy, you don't you need know, to buy a whole new system. No, no, no. no. You'll just want to go back. And so I've, um, yeah, I've just been re- revisiting bits that I have organised and sort of, because they do get out of work. Oh, absolutely. You know, kids come in and take all this yeah. stuff. And it's interesting you talk about the news in Ukraine because, I mean, let's face it, for the last X number of years, it's just been nothing but horrendous things on the news. But sometimes you do kind of need to have an organised, unscrambled head yeah. to be able to deal with, you yeah. know, the challenges. It's concerning that there are lots of war zones that are mm. not being covered in the same way as yes. Ukraine and that is upsetting. That but that's not new. That's happened. It, it, it doesn't make the Ukraine war no. any worse no. or any less bad. It's just they're all bad. That's just another whole topic that we it's can dive into topic. and it's yes. so disturbing and upsetting and um, I just don't even know where to start with it. Um, the other show that I uh, devoured was season two of Bridgerton. <laughs> I am not watching Bridgerton. <laughs> it's a sugar a, hit. We have a Bridgerton divide in this podcast. A Bridgerton divide. It's a sugar hit. I absolutely love the music. I'm yes. probably the only person who says they watch Bridgerton for the music, which and I don't, but I do really love a great all line. the modern, um, the modern songs all done on violin. It's just so... Fantastic. Well, I can't tell you how I much do I love, love it. I, I watch Bridgerton for the music. <laughs> well, gonna... if you're wondering, this season is not as racy. Yeah. It, look, it's not that I minded the raciness. Oh, okay. I just thought it was preposterous Oh, it times. is. It's completely preposterous. Yeah. And, if you, and if you're a BBC uh, period drama person, <laughs> it takes a while to get into the swing of yes. the Bridgerton. Yeah. No, I want, there's I, so I, many things wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, terrible in so many ways. Yeah. But I mean, I watched the last series and look, who knows? I might, I might, I, do, reckon it. I gonna... might do it for the music, Virginia. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Uh, the other thing I did want to mention was the Rest is History podcast that we talked yes. about last episode. I'm still deep yeah. in the weeds of the rest it's of the fabulous, history podcast. Oh my God. I mean, it's hard. There's 180 episodes now. <laughs> I've still got about 120 to go mm. or something. I love so I'm the going to be Falklands doing episodes. Have you listened to the Falklands yet? With Margaret Thatcher. My they sister's are done those fabulous. and said they were fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but there are two that touch on the Greek myths. Mm. So there's yes, a, that's right. a good one on the Trojan War. And then I just listened to the interview they did. It's their first ever interview because I went back, as I do, and I have to go back to the beginning and I listen to them coming forward. So they did Stephen Fry on the Greek myths and... It's mostly Stephen Fry talking. Yes, he dominates. They he? really don't get a word in edgeways. Well, um, he is a he would be our pronunciation specialist. Yeah, well, even he, I didn't think he pronounced 
AMEs. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I've investigated it. Stephen, that. if you happen to be listening to the Diving In podcast, I'm sure you are. Virginia is not, not happy. With your MS pronunciation. It's AMS. 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 Okay. I did a bit of a Google. <laughs> Google's more correct than Stephen on this. He is just... He's so erudite, oh isn't he? Gosh. He's just extraordinary. <laughs> He's just the, the wealth of stuff he has at his fingertips. Yeah. It's just astonishing. And so, and I will read all of his books. I'm quite sure now that I'm into the Greek myths. Mm. But that was, an, that was a good podcast. It was quite, it sort of gave me another insight into it all. So that's it for us uh, on the Greek myths today. That was great fun. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed it. Let us know what your favourite retelling is. We'd love to know. Yes. We've had a few messages. People have mentioned to me The Thousand Ships. Yes, that's... And Circe and a few others. So do let us know which one you've loved the most because that will help us, that will steer us so that we know which one to pick up next. And we've figured out our next theme, which I'm really looking forward to. We, we did another Cavalier, let's do <laughs> X. And I'm sure we'll go off in somewhat different directions. Yeah, which but is also good. somewhat similar. Yes. You know, like we yes. have a tendency to do that. And uh, we'll be back soon. Good. Bye. Bye now. We really enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. And thank you for all your lovely reviews too. If you want to know more about today's books or anything else we've talked about, you'll find them in the show notes. And we feature most of the books on our Instagram page too, at diving underscore in underscore podcast. And if you'd like to share any books that you've been diving into, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at hello at divinginpodcast.com. Bye for now. Breaking up, shaping up, working in, diving.